Welcome to The Standard. The Standard is on a mission to champion the pursuit of excellence and fight against the celebration of mediocrity. For those who refuse to lower their standards, for those who can't raise their own, this is The Standard. For fitness, for family, for life. Bitches get riches. <laughs> you know, that was going to be the name of this show. Yeah, but she stole it from us. Well, I'm not sorry about that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so now it's either going to be dicks for dollars or <laughs> fellas finance. Fe- fellas get finance? Fellas get finance. Yeah, I like that. Well, you know, we were going to originally be Wall Street Walkers, but... Uh... That's a horrible name. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. We actually, we had a, like a whole like Excel spreadsheet of just like horrible... God, you guys are money. nerds. Oh, yeah. You guys made an Excel spreadsheet I for your podcast name? spreadsheet, yeah. We sure did. Golly. We sure did. Kind of, that's pretty on brand for you guys, though. Very on brand. Uh, how'd you start your show, and and how'd you get together with your partner? Well, so I'll start with the second part of your question. Um, I got together with my business partner uh, because we were randomly assigned college roommates freshman year of college, and we went to a fruity little arts and communication school in Boston, and uh, it was it was the kind of place where you go to meet your future podcast and blog. <laughs> business partner um but we were in a forced triple with this third girl who uh jordan you never want to be in a forced triple Mm -mm, mm -mm. but we so we forged our friendship through adversity by hating this third girl oh seriously oh she was terrible do you think she's listening to your podcast now and she's all upset because she's not a part of it (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) she should she should but she's not no, so uh, we we just we became friends uh, through that that crazy situation, and then several years after we graduated college, we were both you know in student loan debt and looking at our lives like we're never gonna be able to buy homes and like afford to get married and all this stuff. Like, what what are we gonna do? So we started joining, like texting each other this long text chain of like, all right, I figured this out about you know how to save money and you know how to how to pay off loans faster and how to get out of debt and you know, save up for a house. And we realized, oh my gosh, our text thread is just getting too long and unwieldy. We should put this out there for the people. And so Bitches Get Riches, the blog and podcast, the award-winning resource for surviving life in a patriarchal capitalist hellscape was born. (laughs) I think you're the only card-carrying feminist we've ever had on the show. I am going to take that as uh, a distinct honor. You should. And uh, so should you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, uh, it's, it's something that some people never get a handle on mm. or think that it's important, the finance portion of that, right? Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to start making money. You know, maybe my job has a 401k and then, that, then that's it. That's, that's the last that people will... Yeah, and I, I like, it frustrates me so much because, you know, you and I, we're around the same age, we're millennials, old millennials to be fair, but we are millennials. Easy. Hey now, hey now. <laughs> Listen, own your age, Craig. Um, but we, we were raised by these baby boomers who were like, here's what you do. You go to college, you get yourself an education, and then you work at the same company for 50 years until they, you retire and they give you a gold watch, and then you live off of your, your 401k until you die five years later. But they weren't wrong. They weren't. And for their time, right? So Correct. when yeah, they went like, to school, it was $50,000, yes. and then they went out and they made you know, 80 or 90. Yeah. For- it was less than $50,000, to be fair. And I, and I will say, like, my parents are both ex-military, so like, for them, college was free. 
like the army paid for my parents to go to college. So they really had no idea. Right. And then these, these poor, these poor veterans had a nerdy bookworm daughter and they were like, she's so smart. We're going to tell her to go to whatever school she wants to. What's that? It's, um, it's 40,000 a year. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, that's a lot of money. So w- like you need some student loans there, honey. So, okay. Let's talk student loans real quick. Sure. Why are student loans hands down? the most dangerous money you could borrow? Oh, my God. Uh, Because they are treated like handcuffs more than any other kind of debt. So you cannot get out of student loans. They, like, you can't declare bankruptcy to get out of them. You you can't uh, discharge them as you can some other form of of debt um, if you run into some serious money trouble. You really, you have no option. Um, And even the options that you do have, um, income-based repayment being one, um, come with really unfavorable terms. Um, but I mean, you think about it, um, and another one is the, the, uh, federal student loan repayment for service. I don't know what the technical name is, but it's, if you work, uh, in, uh, the federal government or you work in some, uh, specific service industry, um, or excuse me, not service industry, yeah, it's like, definitely not hey. that. <laughs> um, if you serve, uh, your community, um, in some way, you can get those loans, um, sort of paid off after you've you've worked in that industry for 10 years. Oh, really? Years. Yeah. Um, I wish I could remember. It's like the PSLF or something like that. But here's the catch. Okay. So they set this thing up, and they're like, all right, kids, you just have to work for the government um, for 10 years and pay the minimum payment on your student loans. And then at the end of that 10 years, we'll pay the rest of the balance off. Sounds like a pretty sweet deal. It sure does, except uh, the rate of them accepting applications for this program is like less than 1%. Oh, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not, you, that's yeah. a club you can't get into. Exactly. Exactly. So people sort of, you know, they, they follow the rules and then they get, you know, denied the rest of the repayment on a technicality. And so you have these people who are like, I dedicated my life to being a public school teacher, for example, or, you know, working for the government in some way. And I thought I would get my loans repaid, and I was only making minimum payments and accruing a shit ton of interest. Because you told me to. Because you told me to, and then the Department of Education is going to turn down your your application to get that loan. Anyway, back to your original question. Student loans not only are really difficult to discharge in pretty much any way, but we are offering them to people who are you know 17 years old, in most cases, just starting out their lives. They know nothing about managing their personal finances, let alone managing debt in any way or putting right. credit. So you have this vulnerable, ignorant population that you're giving loans to on the worst terms. And federal student loans are a little different from private student loans. Federal student loans generally have a lower interest rate. So how do you know if you're getting a federal student loan or you're, what, what's the other kind of student loan? Private student loans. Okay. Well, I guess why would one person get a private student loan and someone else would get a federal student loan? Um, It's a matter of being eligible. Oh, so who's eligible for the federal student loans? Um, It really depends. Um, So it depends a lot on income. It depends on the credit score of the people you are related to. And I basically mean your parents, um, because when you're that young... No credit score. Yeah, you have no credit score. Um, and I'd love to talk more about that, by the way. Credit scores? Oh, yeah. Sure, okay. Um, we'll talk about how they're discriminatory uh, based on age and often on uh, class and opportunity. But student loans, in, in many ways, are a dangerous form of debt because it is targeting a vulnerable population who is is taught that they need an education. And if you can't afford an education, one of the best ways to pay for that is 
a loan. Um, and it's it's not like a car loan. It's got a higher interest rate. It's You can't discharge it like you can with a car loan. You can't sell your education after you've gotten it to yeah. pay off the loans. So you're really stuck with this debt at the beginning of your adult life when you are probably at your lowest income ever and you still have to pay it back. I would take caution in anything the government is like super excited to give you money for. Oh, hell yeah. And it's like, oh, hell yeah. The reason they're excited is because they're going to get that money. They're yes. going to garnish your social security. They're going to, they're going to garnish your wages for until you die. Cause yeah. they're going to get them dollars back. They sure are. Uh, and I mean like, this is something we definitely agree on is like, don't trust the fucking government. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, they are, uh, and everyone knows that they're a business too. They are. They're not going to make, you know, horrific financial decisions to let these people borrow all this money for something that is not as valuable as it was. Absolutely. You know, like you're not going to go out and be able to double the amount of debt you have or or earn as twice as much debt as, you know, financially. It's just not, it's like not mathematically possible because your education is going to cost you like, what's the average, you know, the average, uh, person who has student loan debt is around twenty to $30,000 right now. That's what they have. And that is the principal. That does not include the interest that they accrue. So I graduated college with 28000 in student loan debt. I paid, the, like, my schedule for paying that off was 10 years. I paid it off in five. Um, so I actually probably paid closer to $40,000 in student loan debt when I, when I borrowed, you know, twenty eight. And I, I look back at that and I'm like, that slowed me down so much. Like I could have bought a house sooner when real estate prices were lower. I could have started putting way more towards my retirement and my savings. Um, you know, I, I was forced into a situation where I felt like I couldn't like get out of this dead end job that I was in because I didn't have any flexibility. Like I had to make those payments. So I had to stick with that shitty job for way longer than I should have. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm the lucky one. I came out with 28K. Right. My husband came out of college. Oh, he's going to be so mad at me for saying That's this fine. on the air. Do it. Yeah. He came out with, I think he started with 45K in debt. Damn. And he went to a state school. So it's it's not like, you know, oh, well, just go to your local state university. That, that'll solve the whole problem. Like, no. College prices are rising astronomically compared with wages and inflation. And it's forcing people into this situation where... Either they got to get smart fast, they got to they got to have somebody who's going to educate them about their finances before they get into student loan debt, or they're going to learn real fast once they graduate. So, what's the plan? Just don't go to college. I mean, burn it all down. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's generally what I recommend. Um, no, but something we recommend on bitches get riches all the time is deciding, you know, making making your financial choices intentionally. And so that means in some cases, like, instead of being like, well, obviously, I'm going to go to college after high school. Maybe it's, well, obviously, I'm going to take a year off to think about what I want to do with my life. And then maybe after that, I'll get an apprenticeship or I'll go to a trade school or, you know, I'll, go, I'll apply for some scholarships or, you know, I'll get a job and, and save up for college instead of getting student loans. There really is no wrong way to start your adult life. I mean, you got you to make an income somehow. I mean, most of us have to make an income, you and I certainly. 
I can't speak to people who are independently wealthy, but... They, they probably don't listen to this show. <laughs> or they, your show. <laughs> or they definitely don't listen to Bitches Get because those bitches are already rich. Um, <laughs> no, they, they have to think intentionally about how they're going to start their career, and I do feel like for a long time there was a stigma against the, the non-college educated. It was... Oh, yeah. Totally. And, like, you know, I, I don't think that's fair at all. Because it's it has nothing to do with your intelligence. Well, how many college students are doing what they went to school for? Well, that's just the thing. I did what I went to school for, and it was you're rare. But it was a notoriously underpaid and undercompensated industry. So I majored in, in publishing. I worked in the book publishing world for uh, let's see, ten or twelve years. God, I'm old. Um, yeah, twelve years. And uh, I if I had looked back and did the return on investment of my $40,000 a year college education with my job, it took me five years of working in that industry before my annual salary matched what I paid annually to go to school. That is not a good ROI. Yeah. That's a terrible ROI. So would you have gone back and done anything different? I would do some things different. Like, and I, I will say, like, I really enjoyed my education. You know, I, I work for The Motley Fool now. Um, spoiler alert, I left publishing. Um, but I'm still using the skills I learned in college um, as a managing editor for The Motley Fool, which is one of the uh, largest sources of finance and investing information in the country, if not the world. But you weren't ready for your job when you left college. Fuck no. Yeah, right? So, I, know. I mean, I think it's safe to say that you can... You can be ready for the workforce without having going to school. Yes. But you 100%. cannot be ready for the workforce if you are unwilling to learn. Wow. Those are two different, right. two separate things. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Because I've seen you grow over the last 10 years, which is how long we've known each other. I'd love to tell the story. about my, my hips right now? You see my <laughs> hips grow to the side? You're right. I, the COVID, COVID hit me, me hard. Fitness so <laughs> we met 10 years ago yeah. when your husband saved my life. We sure did. So <laughs> I was working at a uh, at an establishment called the Gin Mill, aka the Sin Mill, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in downtown Denver. So when I moved here, I had no job. I didn't have really any other skills than being a fireman. So I walked up and down Larimer, which is one of the streets in in Denver, and I filled out like honestly like thirty job applications. And the Gin Mill was the only one to to accept my application, and I was the only bouncer. And like, I'm not a physically intimidating human. Like, I don't oh, think I've come physi- on, Craig. That's true. I don't think those those baby blue eyes. <laughs> <No>. So, uh, <laughs> so there was a lot of people. Like, there was it wasn't the the nicest of bars. You know, like it wasn't like a classy establishment. Craig like, people got blacked so out. Light right now. <laughs> got blacked out drunk. And so I worked there by myself as the only bouncer for, God, probably a month, and then my boss. Uh, was like, hey, we we hired another bouncer. And I'm like, oh, thank God. And walks in this mountain of a man. How tall has Ben? Almost eight feet? Nine feet? Nine feet tall at the least. Easy nine feet. Yeah, no, he's, he's six eight. Yeah, six eight. He's what, when you're thinking of a bouncer in your head, like he's the guy you think of. And I think I hugged him the first time I met him because I was like, thank God. Like, I am so sick of that doing this by myself. That was the start of a beautiful friendship. That's right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's the godfather of my son. Like, And then he said, 
uh, yeah, my, my girlfriend is going to move out here and, uh, she's, she's really Italian. And I'm like, Oh no, like my wife's really Italian. <laughs> We're like, okay. Uh, they're either going to hate each other or they're going to be best friends. And 10 was, years later, water. exactly. Freaking lover. Yeah. Oh, thank God for him. <laughs> I saw him. This is the greatest story. Uh, you were at the bar mm-hmm. and, oh, oh, can I tell this story? Oh, I'd love to hear your I version. Love this. this is, this is the, the face through the door story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I would go to the bar sometimes and, and, uh, Craig's girlfriend, now wife at the time would, would go sometimes and we, we bring our girlfriends and cause we knew like the staff knew us and they were like, Oh, right. we'll just, you know, we'll give you like free drinks or whatever. And so, you know, and it was like, Caitlin and I didn't see you on Friday and Saturday nights for years while yeah. you guys were bouncing. So if we wanted to spend time with our boyfriends on the weekend, we had to go to the gin mill. <sighs> so I, like, do you guys know what the girl code is? No. Oh, my God. Is that when you guys go to the bathroom together? No. Oh. Uh, that is the ritual of going to the bathroom together. <laughs> Completely different. Uh, no, the girl code is, like, you, like, make eye contact with another woman and you establish a psychic link uh, from across the room where, like, if you need help, like, that other girl will, like, come over and help you. So We're talking about, like, when you're being uh, courted. Yeah. We- <laughs> courted. <laughs> Courted is not the word I would use. Yeah. So my friend Lorea was getting courted by a yeah. very aggressive man. And she like she locked eyes. We established the psychic connection uh, of the girl code. So I come over to her and I put my arm around her and I look this guy in the face. And I'm like, hey, my friend doesn't want to talk to you anymore. And then I like nice. start to turn her and he starts yelling at me. And uh, well, that's I tell you what, what love story doesn't start like that? What love story doesn't start with? The girl's friend having to rescue her from your attention. That's like honking. Like what marriage ever <laughs> was established by you honking and catcalling somebody? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's oh how gosh. mom and dad met. The man of my dreams <laughs> just honked at me and said, "Hey, girl." Yeah, that's it. Oh, it's gonna be a June wedding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're getting uh, you're getting the business from this guy. We're getting the business from this guy, and he he's like really giving it to us. So Ben, my, my who can husband, see everything, yeah, because he's head and shoulders above. Correct. Everyone in the world, right. let alone the bar. So he comes over because he sees that we're getting yelled at by this guy. And uh, he's in bouncer mode. So he goes, is there a problem? And am I allowed to say the C word on this podcast? Uh, we actually uh, encourage it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so this guy points to me and he goes, well, this cunt. And he didn't dun, dun, get dun. any further. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben puts him in a headlock. And starts shoving him through the crowd towards the door. Meanwhile, Lorea and I are like, oh, shit. Totally. Like, just cheering. World star. Cheering yep. from the sidelines. And Craig comes, I mean. I'll tell you this. I'll yeah, tell you. Tell this part of the story. All right. So now I'm going to pick up this story. Yeah. So I worked the front door because uh, that was probably a good spot for me, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we would have these earpieces, Secret Service style. Yeah. Very and, exciting. And, uh, yeah, super exciting. And when any, we needed help, all we would say was, Front door, inside, or back door. And then all the other bouncers would come to, to that person's aid. Okay, usually mine. And so <laughs> I see, I don't hear anything over the earpiece, but I see like this, I see Ben, I see his head and his shoulders, and then I see the crowd parting like the Red Sea. <laughs> and this dude is in a, uh, for all you former wrestlers out there, in a full Nelson 
Um, and he is like moving the crowd with this guy's face and it was winter time, I believe. And the door was closed oh, yeah. Yeah. and I was like, you know what? I'm going to help my bro out. I'm going to open up this glass door for him. <laughs> and Ben said, nay, nay, I will use this gentleman's forehead to open up this door. <laughs> and I sidestepped and Ben opened the door with this guy's face at like full speed. It was amazing. I <sighs> have never felt more like Whitney Houston in the bodyguard. Hell yeah. You know? God, just no, like, I've never felt like Whitney Houston in the body. You know what? Make Ben pick you up next <laughs> and like just hold you like in his arms the next the time. Next no. elk hunt. It was yeah, exactly. Exactly. He'll uh he'll Whitney Houston you up the up the slope oh, in his God. arms. <laughs> so that's how we know each other. <laughs> yeah. Um and it seems like you have changed your whole mindset when it comes to investing, saving from when I first met you. And like, what was that process like for you and like what what made that change? Or have you always had that? I mean, clearly you had it after you left school. I mean, I think this is going to be the worst answer, but education changed it. And I don't mean like the education I got in college. I mean, like there came a point where I was, you know, deep in student loan debt. I was making 23 grand a year and... You know, and that didn't include my my side hustles. So I was, you know, working more than 40 hours a week because I had to, you know, freelance on the side and babysit on the side to make ends meet. There came a point where I was like, I do not want to do this forever. And because I'm a huge nerd, I hit the fucking books. And by the books, I mean blogs. Um, <laughs> so I I started, you know, rooting around on uh, on the internet as every great scholar does. And I found something called the the FIRE movement, which is, it stand, it's a terrible acronym that stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it was all these people who are like, hey, I never made more than like a moderate salary, but I'm financially independent and I'm retiring early because I was smart with my money and I was frugal and I let my mindset and my intention and my value determine my financial decisions rather than simply going along with what was societally expected. And I found that and was like, okay, these student loans, their ass is grass. Okay. Yeah. So I immediately was just like, all right, I'm, you know, three years into paying these student loans down. I'm going to pay off the last, uh, the last bit of it in two years. And I did that. Then I got married and I paid off the last of my husband's student loans. So my, my mindset really changed when I, A, educated myself and B, found this community of other people who were like, we're going to be intentional with our money. We are not going to just follow what common advice is. We're, we're going we're gonna to do with our money what makes us happy, and we're going to be values-based in our decision-making about money. So what was like the, the big, or is there like a, the biggest thing that someone could do if they find themselves like not where they want to be like you were? Mm, that's a great question. Um, and I actually, I talked to some friends about this recently. They know that I am a, the proprietress of Bitches Get Riches. They know I know a thing or two about money. So they were like, hey, can we sit down and, and just talk about finances? It just feels like it's all getting out of our control and we're really not where we want to be right now. Like, can you just talk to us about it? And like, I told them right then, I was just like, you are making the best decision right now because you're asking for help. You are reaching out into your community and you are shuffling off this stigma we have about talking about money or, or asking for advice and help from your loved ones when it comes to money. 
And to be fair, like they know me and like not. But how do they know? Like, how do you feel like someone would know? Like, all right, self-assessment. I'm fucked. Like, like how, what, what would be maybe some things that like, all right, if you have these three things, you should probably be like, all right, I need to make a change. I, if you look, if you find yourself with no money at the end of the month, like you cover your expenses and you have no, like no savings left at the end of the month, like not, not a two, two hay pennies to rub together. What's a hay penny? It's a half penny. It's like a Britishism, Greg. God, you are so East Coast. It's I unbelievable. Am cultured, all right? Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you find yourself at the end of the month and you don't have anything to put towards savings, you need to stop and you need to assess. And if you find yourself unable to pay for your rent every month or, you know, insert necessary expense here, and you find, like, I had a friend a couple years ago who she was regularly short on her rent. And she would call me and she'd be like, can I just like borrow $80 until my next payday? Brutal. Yeah. And I was like, of course you can. Like, I don't, I don't want you to like, you know, get evicted or whatever. And I was happy to like front her that money for the week it took for her paycheck to come in. But like, if you find yourself in that situation, you got to go, this is a problem. I need to reassess. And this next step there is to look the problem in the face. You cannot turn away. You can't hide your head in the sand. You need to pull up your banking app or look at a credit card statement, whatever it is, you need to feast your eyeballs on the actual numbers instead of uh, letting your fear make you continue to to hide away from those numbers and the reality of your situation. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's ego. And oh, that's, totally. And that's the way I felt. Like, I didn't really take anything financially serious probably until I met your wife. Well, I honestly, after we met married. Your, oh, but like, not even after we met, but like after we got married. Wow, yeah. Um, cause I just want to sh- say shout out to Craig's wife, Caitlin, right now, because like I find her endlessly inspiring. And obviously, she's one of my best friends, but like she is one of those humans who you meet her and she inspires you to be a better person and to try harder and to work harder. And it's incredible. There's a reason I locked it down. Yeah. <laughs> but when, when, <laughs> when your spouse comes to you, and says, hey, uh, what the fuck is going on? And you, that's like super embarrassing. Because you feel, I don't know, at least as a man, this uh, like societal label that you are the provider. You are yeah. the, uh, like you should have your shit together. Mm. But like no one ever taught me. Do you, do I'd never done a budget. Really? Uh, until like four or five months ago. Wow. Never made a budget. Like she had to show me how to do a budget. Yeah. How to like and like, hey, you spend this much on that? And I'm like, oh fuck, I guess I never really like yeah. How did that feel for you when you sat down and like actually made the budget? Um I wasn't that off. But like there are some things that you realize you do with mm-hmm. subconsciously. I buy things with like not really like looking at the price because I'm like, oh, I want that thing. I'm going to buy it. I, I, read, listeners, I don't know if you could tell, but I just did a full body <laughs> shudder at the thought of, lo- of buying something without looking at the price tag. I am, I am a cheapskate, I will say. But totally. I mean, that, but that is something that you don't know until you actually look at yeah. your bank statement. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so that was, that was super helpful. Um, and we have been doing some uh, investing in real estate over mm-hmm. the last... Which I'm so proud of you for and very excited about. It has been the hardest, best thing mm-hmm. we've ever done. And 
just me. This is my personal opinion that real estate is hands down the best place that we can put our money right now. Do you think that it would be interesting if I contradicted you? Like yeah, for the send audience? it. Okay. Um, Do you not agree? No, I, I, well, okay, here's the thing. I think diversifying your investments is the best thing you can do. So that includes owning real estate, having a diversified uh, portfolio within the stock market, investing in business, investing in your yourself, in your education. Um, I think that's the most important thing. Oh, absolutely. There was someone, uh, I, can't, I think I was reading uh, one of Robert Kiyosaki's books and they're like, all right, I have $500. What should I invest in? Said four hundred dollars worth of books, hundred dollars <laughs> worth of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. It is super important to be able, like you said, to be intentional with mm-hmm. your investments. And there's no way to be intentional if you're not educated. Absolutely, absolutely. And that education, like if you're not a book person, like that's fine. I am definitely like evangelical about the fucking library. But if you if books aren't your thing, listen to podcasts while you're running, while you're driving read blogs like blogs are great because they're basically books like chunked up into little pieces that are like written conversationally and in a way that you can do like control find and like look up like what is a Roth IRA like so who would you listen to who are like who are the people that um honestly like there is a blog for everything these days so if you are looking for advice on how to be extremely frugal towards uh you know Becoming financially independent, Mr. Money Mustache. He's he's great for like super frugal living. Um, if you want to learn more about values based spending um, and being intentional with your money, um, there's a blog called Our Next Life. Really like that one. Uh, Get Rich Slowly is one I really like because they have a really big focus on uh, mental health and mindset and sort of this holistic approach to money, um, kind of like how you guys do at the standard, where it's like you can't just focus on one thing. You gotta be the total package. You you gotta, you know, take care of your health, take care of your family and your community, and take care of your money. Um so yeah, get rich slowly is probably my favorite. So let's go to, back to real estate. Sure. Yeah. If someone were wanted to get into that game, what were some things that you think would be really important for them to to understand and realize? We're going to sound like broken records again, but I think education is, yeah. is the piece. So, you know, I, uh, you know, I listened to you guys' episode a couple weeks or months. Yeah, Aaron Foster. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was he was really great. Like, that was a really wonderful educational piece for somebody to just understand what the possibilities are by es- by uh, investing in real estate. And I think that your, your first step there is you want to have a solid income and you want to have a solid credit score. Um, and those two things can be really hard. Uh, honestly, I think getting a solid income is better, is easier than getting a, a solid credit score. Why is that? Well, anybody can make money and there, you can make an infinite amount of money. You don't have infinite time in which to make that money, but mm. your earning potential is limitless. Technically your credit score is something that, you know, you can't get automatically in order to get a decent credit score. You need to participate in this system of debt and loans and credit. Um, You don't, you know, turn 18 and get like a basic starter credit score and get to build that or fuck it up as, as you will. Like you turn 18 and you, you know, try to get a credit card. And if a bank will give one to you, like, great. And then you, you try to pay it off every month and not carry balance and carry interest so how do you get good credit then? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, the first thing I want all of our younger listeners or anyone who doesn't have credit, honestly, like 
no judgment if you're in your 30s and you don't have credit or you have really bad credit. Go to a bank, open a secured credit card. It basically works like a prepaid Starbucks gift card and start building your credit that way. So you have to put money in mm-hmm. prior. So it's like a kind of like a debit card? Yeah. Only there's a set amount to it. Oh. And then you, you refill it over time. And the thing is, the bank, once you kind of prove to them that you are creditworthy, um, and that means you know, you've know you built your credit score up, you're, you're paying off, uh, or, or you, you constantly have money to refill that card, and, and you're paying things on time, they will let you graduate to a, a big kid credit card. <laughs> and uh, Those are the ones that get you in trouble. Those are the ones that get you in trouble. And I, you know, we were talking about student loans earlier. Like, you want to talk about interest rates. Credit cards are fucking horrible for that. Like, 26% interest rate on some of these cards, depending on your, your credit worthiness, which is insane. So suddenly, you thought you paid $100 for a TV, but if you don't pay off your credit card, you paid $124. You paid $148. You, it just keeps going up. It keeps going up. It keeps going up. So if you're going to use credit cards to build a credit score, which you need to buy a house or anything, a, anything really, any like large asset, you need to understand that you have to pay that shit off on time, in full, every month, or you will be paying more than the cost of what you actually bought. Is there any other way to establish better credit? So credit scores go from about 250 to 300 all the way up to 850 these days. It used to be they stopped at 800, and if you had 800, you were like, that was a perfect credit score. But now somehow you can get over 800. They say that anything over 650 is a good credit score. Anything over 750 is excellent. Okay. Um, so I'm just like, I'm going to bear my soul right now in the interest of getting rid of the stigma nice. of... of of talking about money. Um, so my credit score is currently 798. <laughs> Not perfect. I'm, I'm two points away from perfect. Some fucking humble brag. Well, but I want to talk about that. Okay. Because here's the thing. Like, I'm a rich bitch. No, well, that's... Rich, I, I, as is, I know, bitches do get rich. Bitches do get rich. It, it is exactly what it says on the box. <laughs> so I'm really good with money. I have never missed a payment on my mortgage. I, you know, paid off my student loans. I paid off my my car in a year. Like, so why don't you have a perfect credit score? Exactly, and it's because credit scores are set up so to incentivize borrowing. So you don't borrow enough money. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man, that is jacked up. Isn't that jacked up? And it's not that I don't borrow enough money. It's that when I pay off a debt, my credit score takes a little nosedive for a little bit because I have less credit available to me and the uh my credit history now shows that like i don't have a super old line of credit anymore and so this is like isn't that fucked up? yeah yeah so people who are like incentivized to get out of debt like when they finally like pay off their debt their credit score goes down and i'm like what the fuck is going on now i can't like get a house because my my credit score went down or like i paid off my student loans and my my credit score took a nosedive um, that actually like that happened with my husband when we paid off the last of his student loans, you know, he like, he wanted to buy a car pretty soon after that. And he could not get terms like as good of terms that I got on buying my car because our credit score went down because he paid off his student loans. It brings up an interesting talking point, which is like, there's good calories and bad calories, right? Well, there's oh good debt and bad debt. Everyone's, and I think this is more of the Dave Ramsey camp. Mm-hmm. of 
Never be in debt. Never be in debt. Be yeah. debt free. And I think that that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Consider your debt an emergency to start out. But. But. <laughs> there are levels, right? Just like, uh, you know, video games. You want to level up. Well, now I'm going to start to see this debt is like, oh, I can use someone else's money to make me money. Mm-hmm. But you need to understand, and we talked about this with Aaron, the difference between a liability and an asset. Mm-hmm. Very simply, a liability is something that takes money out of your wallet every month and an asset is something that puts money into your wallet every month. Mm -hmm. So if you can spend other people's money on assets, you should do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But That's why mortgages make so much sense. Well, mortgages that you don't have to pay make sense. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good point. So I think the... the And we are talking about real estate investing at this point, not like buying your primary home, right? Well... I think some people see buying their primary home as investing in real estate. It's not. So, you need a roof over your head. You're trading rent for a mortgage at that point. So here's 100%. But when it comes to like, should I rent or should I buy? Mm. Some people feel like, oh, rent is just throwing your money every way, uh, throwing your money away every month. I'm definitely going to buy a house. That might make sense for some people. But it doesn't make sense for everyone. Totally. Yeah. Because... That house, granted, it should appreciate over time, mm-hmm. and and historically it has. Obviously, we have. Sure. What was that thing that happened in two thousand eight? But if you, it happened because people who shouldn't mm-hmm. get loans got, got loans. loans. Yeah, and, and then, those were the subprime mortgage loans. Yeah, with that, variable rates of interest. But they were like, hey, of course hold on, I can buy this big fancy house and I don't have... Wait, wait, wait. I can buy three more of them too? Yeah. What? And they were giving these ninja loans out. Absolutely. We're like, you needed to have no job. Yeah. That yeah. is... Oh, and... Fucking insane. Shocking. It didn't work out. And I do... Back. I want to like, give a little grace to the people who like kind of fell victim, honestly, to that, that situation. Because like, just like 17-year-olds with student loans, like they weren't educated. They, you know, they fell prey to this this mortgage lending market that wanted to make a lot of money off of them and promised them the moon. And, you know, if they didn't take the time to educate themselves on why a variable rate interest or a variable interest rate mortgage is maybe a a little risky, like, you know, they, they lost their homes, they lost their investments and that really sucks for them. And I don't, I don't want to like blame them for blowing up the entire economy. I think, most of us were taught that, you know, the bank wouldn't give me money if they didn't think I was good for it. Exactly. You know, like the system is not set up for the average person to be successful. The system benefits on our ignorance. Like they, and when I say benefit, I mean profit. Like they profit off of us not knowing what the hell is going on. Our country needs people to work dead end jobs for the rest of their life. Yeah. Because the system relies on that. We saw this, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, essential quote unquote workers. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, we're paying the essential workers minimum wage? Yeah. How, how does that work? And it's because they're essential to our lovely capitalist economy, but we certainly don't treat them like they're essential. We treat them like they're expendable. Oh, well, they are. Yeah, I mean, literally. Yeah, right? Like they don't, they don't, they're still not taken care of. Yeah. But there is a difference of purchasing a house for you to live in. Mm-hmm. That is... It's a liability, right? Mm-hmm. It's taking money out of your pocket every month. Yeah. Until and you pay it off. And then you until you it. pay it off, right? Yeah. But you don't ever own it. 
because when you stop paying taxes on your house that you quote unquote own, they take the that government's shit back. taking that shit. They so you never own anything. Yeah. Um, but this has been the uh, doomsday depressing. cult with Craig and Jess. Uh, no, but I think it's an important delineation to make. Whereas, unless you are using that house as a bank, right? So you're going to take out a a cash out refi on that house to then invest that into something else, or mm-hmm. use a um, home equity line of credit or a HELOC on that house to help you along financially then you're not really utilizing the value of your home. And so maybe renting is a better spot for you because it's expensive to buy a house. When you say, when you're driving, especially now, but when you're driving around you say, oh, that house is only Mm $200,000. Well, it's $200,000 plus your insurance, plus all your utilities, plus all the taxes, plus closing costs. Like, all right, well, I can make a million. Plus the interest rate. Uh, yeah. If you, if you buy it with a mortgage, anyway. So interest rate, mm-hmm. you also have, okay, when I sell that house, I'm going to have to pay capital gains taxes on that sure. unless I roll it into another property. So if you are going to purchase a home to think that I'm going to sell it and make a million dollars one day, that house needs to be worth $2 million mm-hmm. for you to make a million dollars on that house. Yeah. And I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of people just being like, well, that's the American dream own a house. With uh, a I need to own a house. That's, yeah. that's what you do. And it's, it's frustrating. Cause again, we're, we're circling back to that. It's what you do. Okay. So where did that come from? The American dream, right? Or like what we call the American dream right now with, you know, 2.5 kids, a dog, a, a wife, a stay at home wife and, and a, a house in the burbs that started after world war two when we had GIs coming back from overseas and all of them were like, I just went through hell. You know what I want to do? I want to live a quiet life. I want to own property. I want to like work until I can, I can get my pension. And then I want to like read the newspaper every morning until I die. That sounds wonderful for somebody who just went through the battle of the bulge. Sure. And so, you know, here in Denver, uh, we have all these houses that popped up in the, you know, late 1940s, 1950s. Sitting in one. Yeah. You're sitting in one. These like beautiful brick bungalows. And mine's not brick, but it was also, you know, a, a, in a neighborhood that developed around that time. That's when, like, everyone sort of established that, like, this is what you do. And it was such an idyllic, wonderful part of life that that sort of cultural interpretation of homeownership stuck with us. Um, and through the decades, you know, homeownership has, you know, sort of risen and fallen as a, an attainable goal or something to aspire to um, until we get to really, I think, the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008, when people were going into this without really evaluating if renting was a better option for them, without really evaluating if, hmm, is this house going to you know, accrue any value uh, as an asset after I've paid it off? And so people were still you know, trying to have the, the post-World War II American dream with property, but our lives have changed. Our culture has changed. Our uh, financial expectations have changed, but our cultural expectation of home ownership has not changed. And you're exactly right that like home ownership is not for everyone. Well, look at the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. What other nation is an owner nation? Like you go oh to God, you go yes. to like England, right? Mm-hmm. Left Those for a reason, limey right? Bastards. Fuck. Yeah, we won, revolution. won the war. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you think anyone owns their flats in downtown London? 
I mean, no. the very, very wealthy do. Right. But, it's, but, but like, that's that's their version of the 1%. Like, it is not the British dream. But that, that will be, uh, we will be a renter's nation. Yeah. And the great wealth transfer mm-hmm. in this country has already started. And I think that the people who own homes mm-hmm. will end up being very, very wealthy. Mm-hmm. And the ones that do not, unfortunately... Unless they were investing in other things, mm-hmm. they you know that was not their plan. But like we will be a renters nation because that mm-hmm. you know we're we're a relatively young yeah nation, and that is just yeah. the well and wealth. To, like I'm gonna spoil things for a lot of people here, but trickle down yeah. economics. Oh no, it doesn't work. It doesn't trickle down. Oh, no. Yeah, I like. I'm sorry, but like no, it, like trickle down economics doesn't work. So what you're saying is absolutely right. Is like if you can get yours now. And like, you know, find your investment or... It doesn't need to be... Just find it. Find your investment. Yeah, like find your investments. Right. Like I said, you want to diversify your investments so that if something goes tits up somewhere along the line, you're okay. Right. Um, And, you know, so if you have a 401k through your job and you're like, well, I'm invested in that. That's not enough. If you own a home, that is not enough. Excuse me. when, When I say a home, I mean a rental property. That is not enough. You have to have the retirement account and the rental home and a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA and a second income stream so that if anything goes wrong, you have multiple redundancies. You know, you, so that's, so that sounds like, that sounds like an epic amount for someone who's just started. Like how Mm. I make X amount of money a year. How the hell am I going to do all that? You're absolutely right. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, it can be really overwhelming to be like, to look at, you know, what the goal is and be like, where do I even fucking start? Right. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of starting small. Like, you need to have, like, next steps. So your next step, even though you've got your, a 21-year-old firefighter, you've got a pension, you've got yep. your health care, your next step, start a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. That stands for individual retirement account. Okay. You can put 6K in that annually. And that is a tax-advantaged retirement account. You It gets invested in the stock market, so it earns that sweet, sweet compound interest. And that way, you know, if, God forbid, anything goes wrong with your pension or, like, you need more funds in your retirement, like, you've got another retirement account going on. And the point being, never stop at one form of savings or investment. Keep going. Keep saving up and investing until you have enough that you can afford to, you know, leverage the next investment in yourself. Uh, how can people find you? Um, they can find us online at bitchesgetriches.com. Um, and there they can follow our YouTube channel, our uh, podcast, our blog, our social media, all the things. Again, bitchesgetriches.com. 